consultants it's pretty cool um i'm sorry i had something caught in my throat there hi there everyone it's ian and vincent and we're your ip consultants i wonder what ip we're talking about today (laughs) (laughs) yes there's memes about shaggy so we've decided to do scooby-doo yeah so (laughs) so let's talk about it like this is the coolest ip ever like everybody does a shaggy (laughs) good one raggy yeah, everybody does Shaggy and Scooby. Fairly simple impression to do. Uh, I'm actually doing an impression of Shaggy in a concert soon for a friend of mine. Uh. <laughs> so that's going to be a thing. I am not doing that. No, no. I am doing Vincent Van Gogh. <laughs> no. So Shaggy's kind of been in the public awareness a lot, uh, not just because of the Scooby-Doo cartoons, but because Ultra Instinct Shaggy was a meme for a good bit. Yeah, he returned. He returned. And Ultra Instinct Shaggy is kind of a combination of, here's Dragon Ball, let's put Shaggy in it. Okay, now we've just morphed it into Shaggy as kind of a god, and he only uses 1% of his power. It's ridiculous. It was a huge meme for a while. Matt Lillard, who is now the new voice of Shaggy, since Casey Kasem is gone. He's been the voice of Shaggy for a while. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. But, like, he was the live-action Shaggy and then became the animated Shaggy because Casey Kasem passed away a while, too. But, you know, he's he's gotten in on the joke. At first, he was very against it. He's like, please don't. What are you doing with this? What? I don't understand this. And then he, like, got in on the, on the joke, too, and was posting memes himself. So... It became a thing, so we thought, let's take a look at the franchise and see what we can do with this. So, I have spent all week watching (laughs) (laughs) Scooby-Doo. I finished my abandoned binge of Mystery Incorporated. I had abandoned that show because I didn't like the characters, but I I like the format of that show, and I guess we'll possibly get more into that. Yeah, they kind of changed the characterization up a little bit in Mystery Incorporated. Yeah, and, and that bothered me because there was character arcs not happening, and it bothered me because I found myself not liking Velma, and that's not a good sign. Yeah. Because I usually find Velma to be the character I can relate to, and then all of a sudden (laughs) Velma is an asshole, and I'm like, I don't like this show. There have been a lot of iterations of Scooby-Doo, and the characterizations have stayed mostly true, except for in Mystery Incorporated. Yeah, there have been some variations here and there, but yeah, Mystery Incorporated went pretty far from where the characters usually are, because, I mean, Velma is usually, like, first of all, not an asshole, and in that show, she was an asshole. And then there was a thing where, toward the end, they started playing with lesbian subtext, which she was an asshole to Shaggy when they were in a relationship, and in retrospect, if they had actually gone full-on with that subtext, they could have had her make the realization that she had been an asshole, but she never actually did. She kept blaming him for an ultimatum that she put on him, and it it was a whole thing. She was like, it's me or the dog, and he was like, well, I choose the dog, because the dog didn't make an ultimatum, so... 
uh, you're kind of forcing me into a corner here. And then she never saw that that was her fault and it bothered me. But enough about that. I watched that and then I sort of did a fast viewing of 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo because I wanted to watch the new movie, Curse of the 13th Ghost, which was a good movie. I sounded surprised there. I, they, they've got some <laughs> decent writers at Warner Animation and it was funny and it paid off the sort of problems with the show. It had some continuity issues because Velma didn't know who Scrappy was when mentioned, even though they have met in cartoons in the past. But then again, you know, there's no such thing as monsters except when there are and there's no such thing as canon except when there is. It's very, <laughs> it's all very loose. It's it, it, loose canon, negative continuity, whatever you want to call it. You can't trust the continuity of Scooby-Doo to stay consistent and you can't really ever know when it's a reboot and when it's not because everything refers to everything else and then it doesn't and then it contradicts everything else so it's like yeah you just kind of got to roll with it yeah uh, for the most part scooby-doo is about these kids in a mystery van who are basically detectives of things that are supposed to be paranormal and they're talking dog and they solve mysteries that involve supernatural things that turn out to not be supernatural for the most part yeah for the most part there have been exceptions to that format that's usually how it goes there have definitely been exceptions to that rule especially in the like 80s and 90s yeah so like the newest movie the 13th ghost yes the curse of the 13th ghost the curse of the 13th ghost is a sequel a wrap-up of a very short-lived scooby-doo series called the 13 ghosts of scooby-doo they got to 12 ghosts yeah because it was 13 episodes and in the first episode they released the ghosts and then they spent the rest of the series catching a ghost every episode or demon the show is very unclear on whether they're ghosts or demons they keep switching back and forth i guess yeah they're demon ghosts it's that's weird but yes they sort of catch all of these 12 ghosts and then there's no more episodes so they sort of realized oh maybe we should maybe we should finally tell that story and i mean should i spoil what happens at the end of that movie uh, this, we'll, we'll put a spoiler alert here. Yeah, okay, so major spoiler alert. Because <laughs> this movie did, like, just come out as far as, like, our podcast is concerned. So, usually we're not talking about things that, that have just come out. Yeah, so spoiler alert. First of all, watch the movie. It's a good movie. It's fun. It's funny, and it's got a decent story. It's got a mystery. I kind of guessed it before they revealed it. I knew what was happening. And what was happening, spoiler alert again, was it's a hoax. Um, <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> so, what a surprise. Yeah, so in retrospect, it sort of makes it possible that the entire 13 Ghosts series was a hoax or a series of hoaxes or possibly hallucinations caused by altitude in the Himalayas. The thing about the 13 Ghosts series was Velma wasn't in it. Velma is the skeptic. Velma is the one typically who will analyze things and debunk hoaxes. She wasn't in the series, but she is in the movie. And because she wasn't in the series, they kind of got away with doing all that supposedly supernatural stuff because there was nobody there to go... Hey, this is probably fake. Yeah. There was no jinkies to be had. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then in the movie, there was jinkies to be had. Velma was around and she was always kind of going, you know, this this might be fake. This over here might be fake. And then at the end, she almost like accepts that it might not be fake. And then, you know, no, actually it's fake. So yeah, Velma's presence in the movie is very important because she's the skeptic. And... I guess we should go over who the characters typically are. Yeah, sure. Broadly speaking, obviously different writers, different showrunners will have different ideas of what to do with these characters. Different varied interpretations of the character archetypes that generally the Scooby gang is. Yeah, so typically the leader is Fred, 
And it varies how much of a good leader he is. Sometimes he's just sort of, he appoints himself leader and he's not very good at it, but he insists that he's good at it. He insists that he's the leader and everyone just sort of goes with it because nobody wants to argue with him. He's typically like the kind of preppy jock type. Like he's presumably been on the football team. Like he seems like that kind of guy. He's just shy of wearing a Letterman jacket and everything, but he never does. It's always just that ascot. Which is, you know, in terms of fashion, I think that's gone out of fashion since. Oh, yeah, I don't I don't think it was very much in fashion to begin with. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting piece of character design, but, it, it, you know, it, it's very much his thing. So, yeah, Fred's that guy. Uh, Velma is typically the skeptic, the analyst, the person who is looking for the hoax. Kind of a nerdy girl. Yeah, she's she's nerdy and socially awkward. And also, let's just get this out of the way, probably gay. Yeah, even from the, the 60s cartoon, even even way back when it started, we, we kind of kind of figured it. Yeah, it, I I would say a large portion of the audience has been pretty sure Velma's gay for a pretty long time. And different shows and movies have flirted with the idea, and it's never really been 100% confirmed. But I think... Like, okay, first piece of IP consultants in the middle of the character breakdown. Any future use of the character of Velma, just make her gay. Just let it, let it happen. Rip the Band-Aid off. It's going to happen eventually. Yeah, please. Like, in, in, in a generation, it'll be obvious that Velma's gay. So just go there already. Just let it happen. Don't <laughs> let anyone stop you. I, I know Mystery Incorporated flirted with the idea toward the end, but I guess Cartoon Network didn't let them go there. And there was the first live action movie James Gunn wanted to go there, but the studio kind of chickened out on a bunch of ideas and very much tamed down the whole thing and that was one of the ideas that went away. So the idea has been on the table a number of times and it's been rejected and I think stop rejecting it because it's going to happen sooner or later anyway. So moving on to the next character, Daphne. Daphne is kind of very different every time. Yeah. Daphne is hard to pin down but the main thing that is consistent about Daphne is she's rich. She's an heiress. She's a very preppy rich girl who, why is she in the group? Oh, yeah, because she's dating Fred. <laughs> well, no, I, th- I think it's the other way around. I think Fred is in the group because he wants to date Daphne. I think Daphne's <laughs> in it for the adventure. I think Daphne is in it because she really wants to do something. She's bored. I think that's the general vibe I've gotten. But then again, it's different from version to version. Sometimes it's because Fred's there. It varies. Yeah, that that does vary. You know, her motivations. The dynamic between Fred and Daphne varies a lot between different versions. In Mystery Incorporated, Fred is very much the shy. I would say even it's pretty clear that the writers were going for Fred is on the spectrum, which is very different from the typical normie Fred, if you will. Fred usually seems like very neurotypical, but in Mystery Incorporated, he's clearly on the autism spectrum. He's got an obsession with traps, setting traps, studying traps, everything about traps. He's more interested in traps than he is in anything else. It's like traps, traps are number one. Number two is Daphne. And solving mysteries. Maybe Daphne's number three. Like, Fred's priorities are very much focused on setting traps in Mystery Incorporated. But in in other versions, typically... He's very much in it for Daphne, number one. So the the dynamic between Fred and Daphne tends to vary a lot. Shaggy is pretty much the same all the time. He's a hungry dude who is alluded to being a stoner. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 very much the stoner archetype. He's kind of a hippie-ish. Yeah. The, the main thing that varies is sometimes he's a vegetarian because Casey Kasem wouldn't come back to the role if they didn't make Shaggy a vegetarian. So for a while, he was a vegetarian. I think that's an interesting layer to the character, and I think stick to that. Stick to Shaggy being a vegetarian because that, 
that's something you don't really think of most of the time. You don't think of Shaggy as a vegetarian, and that makes him more interesting because he eats a lot. Yeah. And he has a, he has a great metabolism because that's a skinny dude who can eat a lot. <laughs> uh, and I guess the implication is munchies and all that stuff. But yeah, he's very much the stoner type, and he's also typically the one to get most scared. He's a bit of a fraidy cat. Yeah, that's true. Him and Scooby-Doo, they're the typical quote-unquote cowards of the series. Yeah. And they also kind of bumble into the solution. But but they are the <laughs> they're the ones who who run away first <laughs> and the fastest too <laughs> yeah and then of course there's Scooby Doo who is the dog it's Shaggy's dog is a talking dog sometimes it is very much underlined that Scooby is a talking dog and sometimes it's just no he's a dog he talks it's just normal in Mystery Incorporated they keep pointing out that he's a talking dog toward the end again spoiler alert it turns out that he is uh, descended from the Anunnaki. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Which are like, uh, you know, ancient aliens, conspiracy theory stuff. Sure. Uh, but yeah, that that show got really weird toward the end. Because, you know, for the most of the run, it's like everything is just hoaxes that they keep uncovering. And toward the end, it's like, no, it's multidimensional aliens and stuff. So that show really kind of went, went off, off the, the rails. rails toward yeah. The, yeah. But that was just the main mystery. The thing is, Mystery Incorporated is an interesting show because it's, I think, the only time, or at least the first time, that the Buffy model has been applied to Scooby-Doo, where there's an ongoing story and there's also episodic stories and they kind of weave in and out and there's also character arcs and character dynamics happening within that so you got character drama and it's also more of a mystery drama than it is a comedy, which is unusual for Scooby-Doo because most of the time it's primarily gag driven it's a lot of running around except for like some of the movies have been you know primarily about the mystery and then there's you know some comedy added to that but typically a big part of a lot of versions of Scooby-Doo is, is chase gags and stuff like that yeah yeah the 60s version had a lot of uh, guest star gags and pup named Scooby-Doo was mysteries but let's age it down a bit and make it kind of more kid friendly yeah and again pup named Scooby-Doo is a, a part perfect example of how there's no canon because there's a lot of different ideas of when these kids met uh yeah <laughs> and in in a pup named scooby-doo obviously they've all known each other since way back they had a mystery skateboard i think in that show <laughs> yeah there's a long history and a lot of different shows for scooby-doo and the general archetypes that we just described or that <laughs> for the most part vincent just described are are what the general characterizations are but they do vary from show to show, there's been a lot of different shows. Recently, they just had Be Cool Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I, I just watched like four episodes of that. And then this year, in 2019, they have yet another Scooby-Doo show coming, starting up, called Scooby-Doo and Guess Who? Yeah, which is kind of a new version of the of the old show, the new Scooby-Doo movies, which was... Yeah. It wasn't movies, it was just longer episodes, but they were crossovers with celebrities and fictional characters, yeah. such as Batman. And they're going to have Batman on again. And they've been doing that with the individual direct-to-DVD Scooby-Doo movies, too. Yeah, some of them have been with wrestlers or, again, Batman. <laughs> yeah, they've had Scooby-Doo and the Brave and the Bold or something like that, or, you know, another Batman crossover, or, yeah, they had a wrestling crossover recently, and they had animated versions of 
of the WWE characters. Yeah, I think they did two of those. And these have all been animated movies. We're not even touching the live action movies that they've done. There's been two theatrical and two TV movies, I think. Yeah, there were two theatrical ones and then a prequel because they made them younger and they cast them younger. So they didn't bring the cast over from the first two theatrical movies. Yeah, Robbie Amell was Fred. Yeah, and they cast everybody younger, so it kind of was a, like a prequel to everything. Yeah, I was, I was just watching half of that. <laughs> and then they did a live action Velma and Daphne movie recently, I think last year. I watched that earlier in the week. And that one kind of seemed a little separate from everything. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot more science fiction-y than a lot of versions of Scooby-Doo have been. Which is not to say that there wasn't a hoax in it. There was a hoax, but the hoax was done with science fiction stuff. So it's like, it's a hoax, but underneath it is just more made-up shit. So it's very weird that way. But then again, some of the, uh, like the first theatrical movie, if I remember correctly, had some pretty made up shit in it too. Oh yeah. Scrappy-Doo was controlling a robot or something? Was Scrappy in the first one or the second one? I think he was the villain in the first one. Because it was the island with the amusement park. Rowan Atkinson was in it. It was the first one. And Isla Fisher is Mary Jane because it's got my favorite line ever uttered by Shaggy. Mary Jane? Like, that's my favorite name ever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because of the subtle hint that Shaggy's a stoner. Yeah, that was probably one of the leftovers from the earlier draft. Uh, I believe the original cut of that movie was not not getting the rating they the studio was comfortable with and that's why they ended up chopping it up because i think i think maybe the 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 original cut of that movie was either pg-13 or r and they they had to i I think i remember hearing them wanting to have it be r yeah yeah, and and they had to so-called clean it up a lot, and uh, they lost a lot of stuff. But yeah, I guess that bit stayed in. <laughs> That's that's the most blatant they've been about it. So, and even that's super subtle. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, they've they've done four live action, as you said, two theatrically and two direct to TV, Cartoon Network. So, where are we consulting for? Because this is an ongoing IP. They, like I said, they have a brand new cartoon coming out this year. Yes, and this is a franchise that has been going strong for a really long time. They consistently do direct-to-DVD, direct-to-home video releases of Scooby-Doo movies. They consistently have a new series. The Scooby-Doo series lasts usually a season or two, and then they reboot it and do another one. Yeah, like, and I, <laughs> I watched I watched four episodes of Be Cool Scooby-Doo, and it looks like Family Guy, but it's funny. <laughs> Yeah, the animation style changes a lot, too. The, the character designs, yeah. for the most part, stay the same, but every so often the new series kind of changes the character to design. Yeah. Yeah, Be Cool Scooby-Doo was the most radical character design change because, again, it looks like McFarlane. Yeah. Seth McFarlane, not Todd McFarlane. Um. Oh, God, can you imagine a Todd McFarlane Scooby-Doo series? <laughs> I can now. As a, it would have to be a comic. I don't. I don't think I could see it yeah, as a TV yeah. show. But um. But yeah, Todd McFarlane Scooby Doo comic. That's the other thing. There's a Scooby Doo comic book. Yeah. There's been uh, Scooby Apocalypse. Yeah. That that was. It's still going. I just heard recently that all the Hanna Barbera licenses are being pulled from DC. So I think there's a goodbye to that happening. That's unfortunate because the the comic is really well done, from what I hear. Uh, a lot of the the Hanna Barbera comics were really well done and kind of surprising as to how they were treating a lot of the characters kind of more seriously. I haven't read any of them in full, but I, I did read a few pages of, uh, like, a sample of the Flintstones one, and, and it, it seemed pretty good. Yeah. It seemed like so 
social satire and stuff. Like, it, it was interesting stuff. Yeah, the Flintstones one definitely is that. The Snagglepuss one is definitely that. And the Scooby one is set in Apocalypse, so it's scooby Apocalypse, and it's all the Earth is shattered. I haven't read any of the Scooby one, but all the covers seem really interesting. So it's been like one of those things that I want to pick up, and I just haven't gotten around to it. Well, there was that one piece of fan art a while back circulating of just Velma and I think Scooby. Yeah. And the and the mystery machine as like post-apocalyptic thing. Very Mad Maxi. I think that was an interesting concept of just having Velma and everybody else died. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen a lot of cosplayers pick up on that. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. But where are we trying to direct this franchise then? Like I said, because, you know, they've had a handful of, of live action. They're mostly in the animation. The directed DVD animated movies kind of go back to that more traditional character design and animation style, whereas the series tend to be their own thing. Yeah. Where are we consulting them towards? Well, I would say there's a few different directions they can take it at the same time, because that's what they usually do. They do a few different things at the same time. And I would say, like, as a general thing, spanning all Scooby-Doo things in the future, Velma's gay, okay? Like, that's... (laughs) Absolutely. We've said it, and I'm saying it again, because this is something that would span everything. Every cartoon, every comic, every movie, Velma's gay. Just from now on, just let let it be a thing. Sometimes she can be in the closet, but she's gay, but she's always gay. Stop trying to force her to be heterosexual, because we've seen the attempt to do that in the early episodes of Mystery Incorporated, and it was a disaster, and she was an asshole to, to the only boyfriend she's ever had, so... Don't go there. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't want to see it. No. Uh, okay. So that out of the way, the movie that I just watched, not the half of the uh, live action prequel that I just watched, but the animated movie that I watched just before it, The Curse of the 13th Ghost, really good movie. I would say keep the movies up, just that they're on a good track. Keep them up, just make Velma gay and just keep them rolling. The TV show, I'm looking forward to seeing the TV show. I think it, it seems like an interesting idea of bringing back this format of the crossovers every week and stuff. And obviously, Kevin Conroy is going to be back as Batman. Again, make Velma gay and I'm happy. But in terms of pitching a show, I have an idea. You want to get right into a pitch I have? Yeah, let's let's go with that because okay. you're a lot more well-versed in Scooby-Doo than I am. I know kind of the general basics of it. You're the one who's been doing a deep dive into a lot of the series. So Okay, so I have thought about this a little bit. I haven't figured everything out, so we'll sort of work through it as we go. But first of all, I want to go into the glossary terms thing again because I want to coin a new phrase or a new term, I guess safe cracking because we've talked about you know reboots and we've talked about system restore a safe cracking is when you take a safe property and you crack the safe that is to say you you make it not safe you take something like you know archie and you turn it into riverdale you take something like sabrina the teenage witch and you turn it into chilling adventures of sabrina you take something that is you know wholesome and clean and safe and nobody ever gets hurt and you go no what if people got hurt what if this weren't safe what if we actually take this premise seriously and see where it goes as an experiment like the the main difference i would say between a a safe cracking and a dark reboot is that you specifically pick a a franchise that you wouldn't expect a dark reboot of and also there's an agreement with the audience that it's intended as a fun experiment everybody accepts that this isn't some sort of new like oh this is what scooby-doo is now it's more like 
what if Scooby-Doo were a dark thing? So it's like stylized and yet uh, emotionally engaging and, and the characters should like feel as real as possible, which shouldn't prevent them from cracking a joke because you still want it to be fun and you, you have fun with it while at the same time taking it seriously, even, even, even though the surface material like begs you not to. And that's <laughs> the joke, if you will. So a safe cracking is what I want to get into with Scooby-Doo because I think it would be interesting to see like a, a Riverdale type of show based on the Scooby-Doo IP. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a very cool pitch for that. I would watch that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like the game, the, the challenge would be to, to find the horror behind the horror, to have the supernatural thing be fake and still make both that and like the hidden truth scary. You could be dealing with serial killers and cults and human trafficking and a, a lot of hoaxes in real life. <laughs> Kind of really heavy stuff. Yeah, like a lot of hoaxes are covers for something more sinister and, and heavy. And I think that can be a lot scarier than a ghost or a demon, especially to people who don't believe in those things. Like, I'm pretty desensitized to ghosts and demons and stuff. Like, yes, I, I watched Buffy, which helped. Uh, but I think, like, as someone who doesn't believe in the supernatural, it's... Harder to scare me with something supernatural than with something psychological and something real. So the ghost can be even scarier if you know it's subterfuge and don't know for what, depending on, you know, execution. Sure. If people are turning up dead or gone missing and all you see is clues pointing to a vampire, which you know doesn't exist, there's something potentially scary in the unknown. And that's the creative challenge of safe cracking Scooby-Doo. So you're be definitely thinking of making a series of Scooby-Doo that's aged up, not for the characters, but for the audience. Yes. Like you make a, a teen show about teens. Because Scooby-Doo absolutely is usually, it's a cartoon for kids. It's a kid's yeah. show. Yeah. Admittedly, though, the first Scooby-Doo cartoon from the 60s, I could never get into when I was a kid. <laughs> I just didn't enjoy it as a, as a child. It seemed too adult. It it had a laugh track, which always was weird to me. Yeah, that was weird. But as the years went by, I kind of understood the characters a little bit more and understood what they were doing for the show. But it was still very focused on being a kid's show, especially when it went to the even younger with a pup named Scooby-Doo. The Be Cool Scooby-Doo animation's kind of geared toward a little younger audience. But aging up the demographic by making it live action and clearly making it kind of a CW show yeah, is a definite interesting direction to point it in because it's a realm it hasn't been before and there's been a lot of as you call safe cracking with other IPs that are doing something similar with that Riverdale and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and all of those uh, admittedly those are based on comics that do that with those characters they haven't quite done Vamp Veronica is another comic which is <laughs> a vampire Veronica they haven't done a live action of that yet they haven't done Life After Archie which where Archie's a zombie. Right. But they, they've done the TV series of Riverdale where it's, you know, it's a damn murder mystery in, in, in Riverdale. And they've done the TV series of Chilling Adventures of, of Sabrina now, which started as a comic. And now the TV show has actually surpassed that storyline because it's written by the same guy. <laughs> so he right. stopped writing the comics. We could write the TV show. I think making it a little bit more, not adult, but a little bit more mature yeah. in its storyline is a really good focus for 
for it. But also, I think that adapting the Scooby Apocalypse could probably be an interesting take on it, too. I haven't read Scooby Apocalypse, so... And neither have I. But I'm saying a lot of these are adaptations, and that's usually where they swing. Let's focus on your original idea for it. But I think both of them are viable. <laughs> but but let's lean in towards yours, because yours is the one that, you know, we're here for. <laughs> yeah. And also, neither of us have read Scooby Apocalypse. Yeah, so, so well, I've gotten the impression of Scooby Apocalypse, and this could be completely wrong, but I've gotten the impression that there are supernatural things, or at least uh, paranormal things of some sort, in it. And I think, personally, that Scooby-Doo's purpose as an IP is to teach healthy skepticism of, like, not believing everything that you're told and not buying into hoaxes and not letting yourself be scammed. Sure. Obviously, Scooby-Doo presents itself as hunting ghosts and monsters, but, like, underneath that, what it turns out to be always is is a show about catching con artists, essentially. And I think that is something that would carry over into this. And I would say also, as a general IP consultancy for the cartoons in the future, stick to the hoax hunting thing and don't do the supernatural Scooby-Doo stories because I, I feel like yeah. I feel like it cheapens what Scooby-Doo is for. I feel like it's meant to teach kids that you shouldn't be scared of monsters because they're not real is the, the basic thing. But like in terms of this more mature version of it, it would more be don't be scared of the supernatural thing. Be fucking suspicious of the supernatural thing because there's probably something scarier underneath it because that would be like the next lesson in the lesson plan that would be established by the original show and shows that follow the same rules. Okay, so so title-wise, you can't call it Scooby-Doo because obviously, A, that's just Shaggy's dog in this show. Yeah. And probably doesn't talk. And B, safe crackings always go under a different title. You don't see a safe cracking that uses the same title as the source material. Yeah, it's not called Archie and the Gang. It's called Riverdale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's not called Sabrina the Teenage Witch or even Sabrina and the Groovy Ghoulies. It's called Chilling Adventures with Sabrina. Yeah. And a lot of these w- reworked, reboot shows go by like the name of the town you get smallville and gotham and riverdale and so forth coolsville is a name that the town in in scooby-doo has been called sometimes i would say that's a bad title oh i would agree (laughs) don't call it coolsville (laughs) let's not do that if mystery incorporated hadn't already been a title it would be a great title for this yeah coolsville is the name of the town used in i think a pup named scooby-doo and the live action movies and stuff like it's a name that keeps coming up whenever there's like a hometown that's usually called coolsville in mystery incorporated the town where the series takes place place is called Crystal Cove. That could be a better title. Crystal Cove sounds like it's got some mystery built into it. You could reuse that town's name as the place where the show takes place. But another angle, how about Meddling Kids? Well, here's the thing, though. I think there's a book out now called Meddling Kids. Oh. That is alluding to the gang being the Scooby gang, although they're not directly calling them the Scooby gang. And I think it's called Meddling Kids Mm. and the kids are solving mysteries and stuff. Okay. Without it actually being the Scooby gang. So let's move it to what I've just been calling it. The Scooby Gang. You know, we're not calling it Scooby-Doo. Well, the problem with... Seriously, wait, let me, let me, let me explain here. Yeah. They're a group of teenagers who solve mysteries. They're trying to figure out what they call themselves, and they name themselves after Shaggy's dog. They call themselves the Scooby Gang. The problem is the Scooby Gang is specifically the gang from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But they called themselves the Scooby Gang after (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Yes. (laughs) 
kids. <laughs> so that's so weird. Yeah, you, you, you run into a lot of overlap. Absolutely. I mean, you've referenced Buffy at least three times in this episode. Yeah. Well, I referenced Buffy a lot because it was a turning point for television as a medium. <laughs> so let's get past title. We've thrown out a couple of things. There's probably stuff that could be titles. Even Jinkies is a possible title. Zoinks. <laughs> <laughs> So in terms of like how they meet, I feel like there's a moment that I want to see where, and this is a moment I'm sure I've seen in a lot of things, but it's such a simple thing that you want in order to establish. I'm not saying this is the exact scene, but this type of moment, uh, Velma's sitting by herself because she's all on her own. She doesn't have any friends, whatever. Daphne comes and sits down next to her and goes, hi, we're friends now. Because I feel like there needs to be a punchy start to their friendship. Something definite and awkward. Yeah, because I think they're two very different characters. And I think, first of all, why is Daphne going to a public school? I'm thinking Daphne has talked her parents into letting her go to a public school. Because, I mean, she's she's an heiress. She's got money. They probably want to, like, homeschool her or send her to a private school or something. And she's like, no, I'm going to use my spoiled kid privilege and I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to go to a private school. I'm going to go to public school and I'm going to hang out with the weird kids. I feel like that's kind of Daphne's motivation. She wants a more interesting life than she's having at the moment. She's being sort of pushed into this corner of privileged robots and she's like, I don't want to I, I don't want to go there. I want to go to a normal school and meet not normal people. So I think she just sits down next to Velma and is like, hi. I'm your friend now. <laughs> and and Velma, like, why? Yeah. So, yeah, I think I want a moment like that. I'm not saying specifically the cafeteria meeting. You could have that one of them is already on the trail of, of whatever big mystery you're dealing with in the pilot. And that would probably be Velma that's on along the trail. Or Daphne has gotten wind of something and is looking for, like, help from someone who might be able to help. Because Velma is like a debunker, hoax catcher, uh, con trapper, mythbuster. <laughs> She's the skeptic. Yeah, she would be, like, sitting around reading Houdini and James Randi and stuff. There's a tradition among magicians of debunking hoaxes and cons and stuff. Houdini was, of course, very much known for that. And James Randi had that whole Randi Foundation thing where you could get a whole bunch of money if you could prove that the supernatural exists and nobody ever got that money. But yeah, I feel like Velma would be just sitting around reading James Randi's or Houdini's journals and Daphne would like notice or Daphne would meet a wizard. <laughs> I'm sniffing out an idea for a pilot. Okay, so here's the plot for the pilot. Shaggy's in a cult. Okay, Shaggy is a gullible hippie. He's a gullible hippie who's easily scared, and he's been lured into a cult led by a fake wizard who is taking advantage of gullible hippie types, because that's what cults do. So now they got to rescue Shaggy. Or maybe this wizard is trying to get Daphne into the cult, and Daphne is like, I just met a wizard. Velma is like... There's no such thing as a wizard, and this is suspicious. We need to investigate this. Somehow you get from there to they're going to rescue Shaggy from the cult. I don't know if one of them maybe was friends with Shaggy at one point in, like, years ago. Or maybe they're just classmates. Maybe they were grouped together for a group project in a class, and then suddenly Shaggy disappears. Yeah, and they're like, where did Shaggy go? We gotta find him. And Fred's kind of being a tag-along because he likes Daphne. He's totally a tag-along, and then he sort of takes charge. Yeah, he kind of tries to take charge of the situation where like, oh, wait, wait, this is some kind of weird stuff going on. I have an idea. Let's do this. Yeah, let's split up and look for clues. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so let's split up and look for clues. Fred's only catchphrase. <laughs> well, he's had a number of catchphrases. Well, gang, it looks like we have another mystery on our hands, is another one. And also hold the phone recently. Okay, so they're going to rescue They're gonna rescue Shaggy from a cult. Uh, oh, had another idea. This is a bit of a weird track, and I'm sorry. I'm just going to pull this thread because I don't know where it goes. Shaggy is living with schizophrenia. That is an interesting thread. He's prone to paranoid delusion and hallucinations because that's how we get to, like, when you show supernatural things, you can show them as more supernatural than they are because you show them from Shaggy's perspective. So you can, like, not trick the audience, but, like, amp up the scary because you know how scared he is because he's suffering from this condition that makes it very difficult to deal with certain situations because it's hard to tell between what's a waking dream state and what's actually happening, especially when people are pulling cons. And he occasionally hears his dog talking. So that's how you get Frank Welker into it. And that's why he runs from everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Everything is freaking him out because every, you know, it's it's being amped up by his condition. Yeah, sure. That's a definite unique angle to take for that. Yeah. And like with proper research and an actual, you know, schizophrenic consultant behind the scenes of the show. Yeah, don't half-ass it. Yeah. It, it could be worth exploring a character who's like living day to day and functioning with schizophrenia and managing the symptoms with medication and grounding techniques and so on. Oh, oh, oh. Even zoinks could be a grounding word to remind himself to take a step back and try to separate reality from symptoms. Yeah. So like he goes, zoinks, and that's to remind himself that this might not be real and I should consider the possibility that I'm having an episode. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, get the show itself, this live action series, get it grounded more in reality and actually give further character development like that with it. That's a great idea. And you can have episodes like, oh, there's a vampire on the loose, but it turns out that it's a serial killer who's stabbing people in the neck. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> With a two-pronged fork. Yeah, I'm sure that <laughs> plot's been done already, but stuff like that. Scooby-Doo plots, but amped up. People are actually dying and people are actually being used. And, you know, again, you can have drug smugglers and gun smugglers and human traffickers pulling hoaxes as subterfuge for what they're secretly doing. There's definitely a lot of different angles they can take for it, yeah. Different plots, I mean. Yeah, with the way that this show is so similar to the other shows we've mentioned, I guess the people who would make the most sense to be making this show would be Berlanti Productions. They've been doing a lot of these CW shows, and they're also doing Chilling Adventures for Netflix. Yeah. And obviously it's Warner Brothers owns the rights to all the Hanna-Barbera things, because Hanna-Barbera went under, I think, and was bought out by first Turner and then Warner Brothers. Yeah. Something like that. But yeah, I think because Warner Brothers owns these characters now and they run the CW, all the pieces are in the same place. Yeah. Like, all the, all you need is a time slot. <laughs> all you need is a time slot. Now, you're a lot of the thing that you're pitching with this is kind of more a mystery of the week kind of thing. Would there be an overarching plot too, as there are usually with these shows? I think the cult that you introduce in the pilot would be a season arc thing, but you have the rescue of Shaggy in the pilot so that you have a story contained in the pilot where you rescue Shaggy from a cult, but the cult is still there, and you have to spend the rest of the season taking down this cult that is doing all this complicated shit. And then within that, you have freestanding plots, and you also have plots that are connected to the cult. So, like, some of the stories are connected to the cult, and some of them are not. Yeah, a lot of the plots from the episodes, they're connected to the overarching thing, but the connection is not inherently made from the beginning. Even when they solve it, it may not be connected right away. Right. Or at least they may not discover the connection right away. That's kind of what I was getting to. Yeah. So I, I think that's the season arc. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great pitch for a show. I would watch 
the shit out of that. I think that's definitely something fun for the series, for a series. Uh, <laughs> something that we haven't really seen done with the Scooby franchise before. Yeah, age it up a little. Age up the audience. Make it a little bit more mature for more mature audiences. Because, you know, people who watched Scooby-Doo when they were kids, they're older now. And yes, there are kids watching it now because it's on Cartoon Network. You still do those shows because they still are doing those shows. But this is another variation on that. Yeah. Because they've done so many variations. This is the realm they haven't gone into. Let them go into this realm. Yeah. And uh, as you said, you've already got the connections with the CW being owned by Warner Brothers, who do the comics, who do the cartoon, who do everything. So everything's already connected. You just need to pitch it and have it be a show. Yeah. So in terms of specific showrunners, because obviously the guy who developed Riverdale and Chilling Adventures, that guy specifically, I don't remember his name. Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. But yeah, he might be busy doing two shows. <laughs> He's very busy. That's why he hasn't finished the Chilling Adventures comic. Right. <laughs> Issue 9 has been delayed for two years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that happens when you're running a TV show, I guess. Yeah, it's the Kevin Smith school of writing a comic. Yeah. So, uh, we, we don't necessarily know who would be running this Scooby-Doo show. Although, I mean, it, an option is to just wait until one of those shows ends and just let him do it. Because he's doing all right with Sabrina, at least. Yeah. I mean, Sabrina got picked up for a second season pretty much immediately after the first season aired. So. Yeah, I, have, I haven't seen more than an episode of Riverdale, so I can't speak to that. But in terms of other possible showrunners for a show like this, do you have any ideas? Um, who's the showrunner for Gotham? Oh, there's like four of them. Uh... <laughs> Because Gotham is ending now. Gotham is in their, their fifth and final season. Yeah. And Gotham is, a lot of people are very split on Gotham, and I love Gotham because I just treat Gotham as an Elseworld story. Yeah, me too. And if you want to talk about Elseworld stories, exactly what we're pitching is basically Scooby-Doo <laughs> Elseworlds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the showrunners of Gotham are Danny Cannon, Bruno Heller, and John Stevens, I think. Sure. And I think- So any of them or all three of them- together could definitely be a decent addition to where we're kind of pitching this to go. For one thing, they're good at casting. Um, <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> and also they're good at tone and they're good at being just really wacky while at the same time being kind of dark. Yeah, Gotham definitely leaned more into the wackiness as it progressed. Yeah. And they definitely own up to, oh yeah, this is going to be wacky now because we realize it's inherently wacky to begin with. Yeah, so. it's a very wacky show. The last I heard, they're developing an Alfred show that's going to be called Pennyworth. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to be a uh, network. Ben Edlund also worked on that show for a while, and he's a wacky dude. <laughs> Definitely a wacky dude. For those who don't know, Ben Edlund did The Tick. Yeah, he created The Tick, and he's currently running The Tick with David Fury. The Amazon TV series? Yeah, which I love that show. I actually haven't had a chance to watch it. I, I was a huge into The Tick when I was a kid, and I haven't watched the Amazon series yet. Ben Edlund also wrote an episode or two of Firefly, I think. Yeah, he did. He also wrote on uh, Angel. That's right. He's written on a lot of things. He also worked on, I believe he ran Supernatural for a bit. I haven't seen that much of Supernatural, so I haven't gotten to that stuff. And Supernatural had a crossover episode with Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Just about to say that. So yeah, it, I, I didn't, I, that's like one of the things that I didn't watch because I want to watch Supernatural all the way through at some point in order, but I haven't gotten around to it. And now there's like, how many seasons? 14? They're in their 15th season or something like that. Yeah, I have, I have not watched Supernatural except maybe one or two episodes so it's here and there, and I'm like, I really want to get into this show, but it is 15 seasons deep. Dear God. <laughs> 
I've seen like five episodes. Yeah, same. Like the five first, not not five episodes here and there. But I, I started watching it in order oh. and then I fell off because I was watching so many shows and I'm still watching so many shows. There are too many superhero shows. Yeah. And yet I want more superhero shows. <laughs> There's too many superhero shows, and there's a bunch that I still haven't watched. Krypton is in its second season, and I haven't watched any of it. I have seen some of Krypton, and, you know, it's... I've already I've already expressed my opinion on the showrunner. It's not terrible, but it's meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting off topic here. So. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, Scooby-Doo, the question is, how young are we starting this show? Because, I mean, you could go the sort of classic three years of high school, then three years of college. Yeah. Or two years of college or something. And then, you know, adult years. Using the Buffy model. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that sense, yeah. I believe that was also the Sabrina model. The Melissa Joan Hart version. Yeah. It's kind of the classic high school show running long model, which is, you know, after three years, you gotta you got to leave high school. So the question is, do you do three years of high school or do you just do two or one and then move on to the next stage? I would say probably make it two years, make them juniors, you know, only because a lot of the themes are quite possibly very heavy. So, you know, making them a little older, but obviously still in high school age would just make that a little easier to digest for an audience. Right. Okay. So we're doing, let's say, two years of high school and then they're going to college. So I guess for a long term plan thing, who's going to college? Who's not going to college? Shaggy is not going to college. Sorry, Shaggy. You're not going to college. You're too cool (laughs) for college. Velma is definitely going to college. Velma is not too cool for school. Velma has overloaded on classes. And I could see Fred going to college. I could see Daphne going to college for journalism. I think Fred's going to college because Daphne's going to college. Yeah. Again, with the using uh, Buffy as a reference, because everybody went to college except for Xander and Giles. But, you know, he's already been to college. (laughs) (laughs) Scooby doesn't go to college. (laughs) Yeah, Scooby's a dog. So, yeah, Scooby's the Giles. (laughs) Uh, He's the watcher. Scooby-Doo went to the Watchers Academy in England. <laughs> yes, clearly. Scooby's Roro has a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> there is one more thing that I guess we could add to the conversation about the safe cracking. And that is, since there was the new Scooby-Doo movies, and there's been, you know, the crossover movies, and now there's Scooby-Doo and Guess Who, because we've so often talked about crossovers on this show, it would be very weird of us not to bring up crossovers on the Scooby-Doo show, yeah. given Scooby-Doo's history and future with crossovers. So you're talking about as far as the cartoons go, not with the TV show that we've pitched. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. They are going to do the TV show. The TV show that's coming out is going to have crossovers every episode, I'm assuming, because that's the premise that they've announced. So I'm already assuming that's going to have all the crossovers they have the rights to. Like, they're just going to stuff everything. But the question is, if we're assuming this would be going on the CW, if we're assuming this is going in the new dark realistic time slot, this is the Arrow replacement, what are some things we want to see turn up on this show, given the rules of the world that we're setting up here. Because no supernatural stuff and no sci-fi. So no metas, so no crossovers with The Flash. Right. They've already done the crossover with Supernatural, but they did that as a cartoon. Yeah. I've always wanted to see, in a cartoon form, I've always wanted to see a crossover with the Scooby-Doo gang and the real Ghostbusters, but that's mainly because I want to hear Frank Welker talking to himself. (laughs) 
uh, as Fred and Ray. And um, Scooby. Because he, and Scooby, yeah. Well, no, no, but Fred and Ray are the same voice completely because it's Frank Welker's regular talking voice. Yeah. He's not doing a character voice for those characters. That's just his voice. Yeah, I can't figure out if he's making a character choice when he pronounces the word treasure. But other than that, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely his real voice. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if he actually says treasure or if he just thinks it's fun that Fred says treasure. I'm not sure. <laughs> Instead of treasure, yes. Is that a Louisiana thing? I don't know. I have no idea. He's from Denver, but I just associate it with riverboat gambling for some reason. Is the Scooby Gang centralized in Louisiana? Because that would be a really decent setting for, for the Scooby show. I don't know that it's ever been stated, but I'm for it. Because the whole area kind of has a supernatural feel to it anyway. So I think that would definitely kind of lend itself a lot to a TV series yeah. of this gang of kids in high school. If that is where the trade pronunciation comes from, then you would have a really good reason why Fred would be saying treasure. Because that's another thing. <laughs> Whoever you cast as a live-action Fred in the future, tell them that, okay, treasure, pleasure, measure. I think that pronunciation isn't centralized to a location. I think it's just him thinking he's being smart. It's kind of a Ted Mosby thing from How I Met Your Mother when he says renaissance instead of renaissance. Mm. Uh <laughs> Could be. Because he thinks he's smart. But yeah, I definitely want in the future, whoever's taking this role should take after Frank Welker on pronouncing it pleasure and treasure and measure. He's played Fred since the 60s. He has the smoothest voice and he does the voice of Scooby as well these days. He's the only carryover for the entire series. He didn't originate Scooby. That was Don Messick. But he did originate Fred and he's still playing that character. So yeah, he never got too old to play Fred, but he did manage to take over another role <laughs> in Scooby-Doo. Yeah. All right. So let's jump back. Let's go back to the guest star ideas because we really only touched on the one that I had, which was mostly for the animated version version. What kind of guest stars crossover would you want to see in a live action setting for the Scooby Adventures? And obviously not an Arrowverse crossover because this is not an Arrowverse show. <laughs> well, the, you, could, you could sort of cheat your way around an Arrowverse crossover. You could have a crossover with Batwoman that is not canon to the Batwoman show. Or you could crossover with the Flash universe where he has metas in his universe and he thinks that whatever mystery of the week is meta involved, but the Scooby gang proves that it's somebody who's using something to make it look like a meta. That's the way to do it, because the problem is with the whole breaching thing, you're already getting into a problem when you're obviously moving between universes. But I'm thinking you could do a Batwoman crossover where it's their universe's Batwoman. Like, there's a Batwoman in the universe of the Scooby-Doo show who is played by Ruby Rose. So you get the same Batwoman, but it's a different Batwoman who is living in a different universe. You could kind of cheat your way into a Batwoman crossover that way by having it be technically a different Batwoman. Yeah. Because Batwoman, not a meta. Uh, you could even do an Arrow crossover if you, again, use the same cheat, which is... you. Just just have the character be there and not have it connect to the continuity of their universe, not have it be canon to the show. Sure. Just having them be guest stars in the in the series, these non-superpowered superheroes. Yeah. Because superpowers don't exist in the Scooby universe, but costume vigilantes do. <laughs> yeah. Or at least could. People do put on costumes in Scooby-Doo. That is definitely a thing that people oh, do. Well, that's definitely a thing that's a running theme. Yeah. People put on costumes and take the law into their own hands all the time on Scooby-Doo. That's all anybody <laughs> ever does. So the idea of a costume vigilante is not that weird. Yeah. Although it would be pretty bad if they went, let's see who Batwoman really is. <laughs> <laughs> they tear the mask off and he's like, hey, 
Don't do that. <laughs> Kate Kane. We don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, definitely crossovers in those respects. Now, would you have our live action Scooby gang crossover with Supernatural again, but have it be the live action crossover this time? Well, it would have to be in the other direction. It would have to be the, the Supernatural guys coming on to Scooby-Doo. Yeah, obviously. Not coming on to Scooby-Doo. Not not like making advances no, on no, no. Scooby-Doo. No, no, no. Coming on to their show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, coming on to the Crystal Cove television series or whatever we're calling it. Coolsville. Uh, <laughs> Coolsville is a terrible name for a show. <laughs> Scooby-Doo New Orleans. Like it's a CSI show or something. <laughs> Uh, okay, so so the Supernatural guys come on, and they're like, yeah, we're looking for Supernatural things, and the Mystery Gang is like, or Velma is like, there's no Supernatural things, you're, you're mistaken, whatever this is, it's a hoax, and the Supernatural guys are like, no, we deal with Supernatural stuff all the time, and then Velma is like, no, I'm telling you, whatever it is, it's a hoax. Now, I don't know if this is what they already did in the crossover that they did. It's hard to talk about a Supernatural crossover when they've already done one, because I don't know what happened in it. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's very possible that whatever they dealt with in the crossover ended with Velma going, look, see, I told you, it was a hoax. And the Supernatural guy's going, but we deal with Supernatural stuff all the time. And Velma's just like, sure you do. (laughs) Well, I mean, in that respect, this Scooby show that we're pitching is very much a teenage version of X files but in reverse yeah uh, well i actually have been thinking earlier in the week that scooby-doo is kind of reverse x files because if you look at just daphne and velma you could go like daphne is the one who's excited by all this supernatural stuff and wants to find out more about like this paranormal shit and velma is the one who's going oh that's not real and then it turns out that it's not real and velma's right so it is very much a Mulder and scully and there's also will they won't they're going on there in a sense because it very much is, would seem like uh, Velma is kind of into Daphne. Oh, absolutely. And Daphne might be open to it. I don't know. Hey, there was a porn version. Uh- <laughs> well, you don't need to go there. <laughs> I'm just saying, as with everything, Rule 34 exists. Yeah. So in terms of in terms of relationship dynamics, I don't want to see Velma even trying to date Shaggy because I don't want flashbacks to that. No, of course not. No. But I could definitely see there being like a Velma has a secret crush on Daphne and Daphne is kind of aware of it, but not necessarily addressing it because she's just sort of waiting to see if Velma makes a move, I think. Yeah. And I think it's very clear that Fred is into Daphne. Oh, very clear. And Daphne is very aware that Fred is into Daphne. And she's like, you haven't impressed me yet. Just <laughs> I'm going to wait and see where this goes. But for now, you're very obvious and, and almost bordering on creepy. But I don't think you should bring it all the way into creepy. I think it's just this thing of like, oh, obviously not just as I said, bordering. Yeah, you kind of go for this thing of like, hey, let's split up for clues. And you have this sort of subtext of he just wants to hang out with Daphne. He's trying to build up the courage to even ask her anything is basically what it is. Yeah, I think he's trying to build up the confidence to do it. And Velma is pretty sure she's not going to. <laughs> and I think Velma's going to surprise herself. Yeah. I think Velma is going to make a move on Daphne in a respectful way and be like, I kind of have feelings for you. And Daphne is like, I kind of knew that. <laughs> I could see them dating for a bit. And then they sort of go like, eh, this relationship isn't maybe like a long term thing, but it's good while it lasted. <laughs> Right when they get to college is when all of that happens. Yeah, because then Daphne starts to experiment and she ends up with Fred. (laughs) 
There was a character in Mystery Incorporated nicknamed Hot Dog Water. I was waiting for you to bring this up. Yeah, because Hot Dog Water, her real name is Marcy, I think, but they keep calling her Hot Dog Water. It's, it's very weird how they keep calling her Hot Dog Water. She's called Hot Dog Water because she smells like hot dog water because she bathes in hot dog water because her dad wants to preserve water. So her nickname is Hot Dog Water. Just just say Hot Dog Water one more time. Oh, yeah, I, <laughs> absolutely. I'm going to say it more times because I'm talking about Hot Dog Water. <laughs> HDW. <laughs> Some of the romantic subtext that happens toward the end of the show that never got to really go anywhere properly was between Velma and Hot Dog Water. I would say it was fairly clear that Hot Dog Water was into Velma and Velma was kind of not really facing it, not telling herself what she was feeling, but there was something there. You could see that there's something mutual between them, but they're not addressing it. In the last episode, Hot Dog Water says, that's my girl, in reference to Velma, and it's the subtext is they're dating now. Reality's been rewritten. She doesn't smell like hot dog water anymore, probably, <laughs> because of the whole multiverse aliens. It's weird. <laughs> so because of that whole thing, I think Hot Dog Water is one of the characters you want to carry over into this show, but do it differently. I don't think you tell the same story. But I think the character, in terms of being a character who is around, you have hot dog water. You don't necessarily call her hot dog water. You could just call her Marcy. Think about hot dog water. I'm going to say hot dog water again. Hot dog water was played by <laughs> Linda Cardellini in Mystery Incorporated. <laughs> who played Velma. Yeah. In the live action. In the live action movies, the theatrical too. <laughs> but yeah, I think that character, hot dog water, could be a character in the show. You could also have other characters from Mystery Incorporated. The sheriff, I forget his name, but he was he was played by Patrick Warburton. I could see Patrick Warburton playing the sheriff again sure. in live action. I could see him playing the same character. I could also see Principal Quinlan, who, again, with the lesbian subtext, there was something going on between her and another character. Oh, that character as well. Angel, well, it turned out that her real name was Cassidy. Cassidy was another character. She's a DJ with a big fro. She's from the previous generation of Mystery Incorporated. That's a character who could carry over as well. And I could see her being in an actual relationship with the principal. So we definitely have some more characters to cross over, at least from the other series. Yeah. It's never quite ever going to be old man Wilson who owns the amusement park, <laughs> but, but it's going to be something a little bit more involved and intriguing. Well, if it's rather than being a road trip the way the uh, original series Scooby-Doo Where Are You was, if you're doing this show as a show set in a town, you're going to have recurring characters. You're going to have characters who are just sort of around. Absolutely. That they interact with. Absolutely. So having a sheriff makes sense. So why not use the Crystal Cove sheriff? Having a principal makes sense. If they're in a school, there's going to be a principal. So Principal Quinlan, why not? You could have the mayor. Even have a character named Old Man Wilson or Winslow or whatever they, they ever said on the originals, but like have him be like a red herring for most of the series. Well, there was a lot of old man this and that because it was usually an old man do doing the hoax a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the guy who ran the amusement park in Crystal Cove, I believe was Hot Dog Water's dad. So again, you do have the potential of a character who's running an amusement park and that would be the father of Hot Dog Water. And Hot Dog Water <laughs> would be like a classmate or something. Someone who's at their school. Sure, sure, obviously. Somebody their age. Yeah. Yeah. But who's not specifically in the gang of mystery solvers. Yeah, and she could like have a bit of a crush on Velma and not be saying it and then eventually you develop that. So you maybe start peppering in little hints at that potential ship as the kids call it <laughs> fairly early on sort of gradually and then you know after the whole Velma Daphne thing you try out the Velma and hot dog water thing and then if that doesn't work out 
she can always get back together with Daphne if the Fred thing doesn't work out. <laughs> you can always play with that stuff. Because, like, the whole character dynamics and ships things, kids like that stuff. So you got to have it. Just handle it well. Don't handle it the way Mystery Incorporated did, because that was the one really bad thing about that show, was the relationship dynamics just felt uh, annoying, because they never... They kept almost were, and then they kind of shied away from doing what they should have. Yeah, and there was the whole thing with the mistakes made, because here's another thing that's very general about fiction. Flawed protagonists are great. It's great to have a protagonist who makes mistakes. The thing that you want to do, though, is when the character makes a mistake, and there are negative consequences to that mistake, it's good to have the character realize their part in causing those negative consequences that came from that mistake, and realize that they made a mistake, and if they made a mistake that hurt other people, that they should perhaps apologize for the thing that they did, and then not make that mistake again, because they've learned from that mistake, and next time they make a mistake, it'll be a different mistake. That's how you use a flawed protagonist. You have them make mistakes and then learn from it. The problem with the mistake that Velma did in the relationship with Shaggy in Mystery Incorporated was she kept blaming him for it, even after they broke up. Even a bit into season two, she's still going, you chose a dog over me. And it's like, you made an ultimatum. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, agreed. I think we've reached a point where we now leave it up to the supposed showrunners. We leave it up to Warner Brothers to see... I mean, I'll I'll do it if you want me to, but like... All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode of IP Consultants. Uh, One last bit of consulting. Never bring Scrappy-Doo in. Ever. (laughs) (laughs) But if you have any comments about what we've talked about or have any IPs that you think we should consult on, you can always email us at ipconsultantspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at ipconsultpod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash ipconsultpod. The podcast, of course, can always be found at ipconsultants.podbean.com. We're also on iTunes and YouTube, so check us out there or however you feel like listening to podcasts. Once again, I have been Ian. And I have been Vincent. And like, we'll see you next time. (laughs) Now let's see who the tasteful tuna really is. (laughs) 